Hello, welcome back to Reselect. This is Dave Gershman. I'm here with our cat, Katniss. That's K-A-T-Niss, Katniss, just like the Hunger Games book, although I really wanted it to be C-A-T-N-E-S-S, you know, like the the uh, the state of being a cat, but uh, I was outvoted by the family, so. Um, anyway, I uh, hope you're all doing well. It's a, uh, it's been crazy couple of weeks. Uh, I'm recording this in mid-June, and uh, I'm sure you all know what I'm talking about. So um, just hope you're all healthy. Hope all you people out there protesting are wearing your masks, staying healthy too, because we need you out there. This country needs you. You know, we have a, um, a lot at stake this, this year, and uh, there's a lot riding on how things go over the next few months in many ways. And Let's just hope it turns out for the best because uh, I don't know if this country can take another four years of what we've been through in the past four years. Hard to believe it's been four years, in fact, but so it is. Um, keep wearing those masks and uh, distance yourself and don't don't try to jump into that. Don't, don't get fooled by everybody going back to the old ways too soon. There's a lot of people out there doing that see a lot of that happening and it's not good. Here in Washington actually we're not we're doing pretty well comparatively but um any easing up on that that's too fast will um will set back quite a bit of the progress we've made so it's only going to get worse if we don't make it better. Does that make sense? <laughs> it's only going to get worse if we don't try harder earlier to make it better. It'll just go on longer and suck big time. So it's been hard for Eric and Sarah and I to uh, to get these things recorded. This one is one of our normal in-person recordings. In fact, you'll still get a few more of those because we always record a few weeks or even a couple months uh, ahead of the uh, the posting date. Uh, you will see, though, at some point later this summer that uh, you'll be hearing some that we've done remotely uh, out of necessity just because we want to keep going with this and not let it hold us back too much, but at the same time, play it safe, be smart, etc., etc. The voice quality on those won't be quite as good as you're, you've been used to hearing on these, these more recent ones. But, you know, uh, I think it's good enough, and hopefully you, you'll understand. We will get back to the in-person thing as soon as, as soon as it seems like a good and safe idea. Anyway, this week we are talking about Ryan Adams and his album... 1989, yes, 1989, as recorded originally by Taylor Swift. Now, Taylor Swift isn't somebody you'll typically hear us discussing albums of on this podcast. However, Ryan Adams chose to uh, cover in its entirety her 1989 album, and it's a worthwhile album to talk about. However, there's a uh, there's a little baggage involved when you're talking about Ryan Adams. He's um, He's got some issues. You may have heard about them in the news, some uh, mental and verbal abuse, manipulative tendencies toward the women he is involved with, um, and even women he's not involved with, but who, well, I'll stop talking about that for now because you'll hear us talk about it more in the podcast episode. Um, but just, just know that we really debated whether this was something we wanted to discuss, whether we wanted to give 
Ryan the time of day. I mean, he's historically speaking, he's been a really respected musician and songwriter. At the same time, he's got these deep flaws. It it brings up an interesting discussion about where one draws the line as far as, you know, personally, as far as appreciating uh, someone's music and somehow um, also being aware of their, not just flaws, because we all have flaws, but things like abuse of other people or, you know, let's say somebody were turned out, turned out to be a white supremacist and you had previously loved their music, but now suddenly that's extremely difficult. So you have to figure out what level of comfort you have listening and appreciating the music and being able to uh, separate that from the who the person was who recorded it. But we thought that was a, a worthwhile discussion to have. Uh, we hope you find it interesting, and uh, please let us know your thoughts. Leave us some comments at reselectmusic.com. Just go to the uh, comments box at the uh, on this particular episode. Um, be patient, and we will respond to any comments or suggestions you have. And yeah, as as I've noted before, please give us any album suggestions, uh, things you'd like us to listen to and talk about. So here's Eric, Sarah, and I discussing Ryan Adams, 1989. We're going to do this, huh? We're going to talk about this record? 1989. 1989. I'm Ryan Adams. Yeah. So I've always kind of been aware, as in as long as I've been aware of Ryan Adams as a musician... I've been aware that he's kind of a, he's like a D bag, but that was based mostly on just stories of like shitty rock and roll behavior. Like there's a story about him calling up a DJ in Chicago who gave him a bad review and like leaving some like super whiny bitchy message on the guy's machine. Like, you just don't get it, man. And then the DJ played it live on air, which is hilarious, mm-hmm. you know, like just like lame behavior like that. But I guess it's last year that it came out. First, it seems like it started with his ex-wife, Mandy Moore. Yeah, I think that's when it really started becoming more publicized. Yeah, like she came out publicly and said that he had made a lot of promises to her about how he was going to help her with his career, but then with her music career. But then he ended up really dominating her and like isolating her from other music professionals and not coming through on any of his promises. And then... There's that very long New York Times article about his texting and sexting with underage girls Mm -hmm. and then repeating this kind of super shitty male power behavior with other female musicians, like meeting them and then being like, oh, my God, you're amazing. And him being like, I'm going to help you with your career. And then Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah. And then fucking them over and just being terrible to them. Mm -hmm. So here we are wanting to talk (laughs) about this record. Yeah. I mean, we guys fucking dick. Yeah. Well, to be fair, you, you didn't weren't aware of all of that prior to selecting. Well, yeah, well, I mean, I didn't I didn't yeah. pick this record to talk about being like, hey, this guy's yeah. kind yeah. of a monster. Let's right. get into this. I mean, I, yeah, and, and as we've discussed off podcast, we've uh, mm-hmm. we we were aware of this to some extent, you know, and it's 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 worth discussing anyway. I think uh, the the album and what he did with it, plus this whole background of him and and uh, how that applies to. Well, everything, I guess, but well, it's not like this kind of behavior, both specifically the way he behaved 
like using his power as a successful artist to control other people. Mm-hmm. It's not like that's a new thing. Right. And it's also not that like this isn't pervasive in the music industry as a whole because this whole idea of like rock and roll, right, is that like break the rules, smash the bottles, snort the coke off the chicks, you know, boobs or whatever. Like it's not really a space of good behavior right. in right. any way. Right. I, th- I think what's different about this, and I'm not saying it's necessarily unique to him either, but uh, it's a it's a form of abuse in his relationships, that like mental abuse and control, and, and mm-hmm. it's not just taking advantage of strangers who are susceptible to that kind of thing, like groupies or whatever, you know. But uh, but actually, people he's supposed to be in a relationship, and he's actually just uh, completely manipulating them. That's I mean, that's what I got out of it, and, mm-hmm. and there's some sexual aspect to it, and there's mental control, like just domination and then like that's why I kind of got that sense also and I I feel like there was an even bigger sexual part of that than what you alluded to that Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the reason why he was active with these women in in the music industry was so that he could have sex and when they and when that did not happen he spurned them and in fact he uh, sabotaged Mm -hmm. their career right right like he he like a vindictive kind of thing Mm -hmm. like like Mm -hmm. I'll show you you know for not doing all these things I right. need you to do for me. And well, in fact, it's, I, it's worth noting that uh, given these revelations, we considered not doing that is perhaps because it might be perceived as some sort of endorsement of the, of yeah. the artist or, or, you know, Sarah, does that resonate with you? Well, then that brings us to like kind of a bigger question. There's the art that people make, and then there's them as human beings. Right. And the, mm-hmm. How separate are those things? Because your art is informed by who you are, right? Because it comes from an emotional space that you created out of nothing. So it comes from you. So if you're a bad person and you treat people around you badly and abuse people and use power to abuse people around you, how does that affect the art that you produce? Like how, I don't, I don't know. I know. I mean, it's, it's, it's an issue I've sort of struggled with for a long time. It's, I mean, there's music I love, but then I, find out or have already known that they are just plain pretty bad people. And, uh, like it, it doesn't necessarily make me stop liking what they did, but I certainly have trouble. It's, it's tainted. I mean, it's, it's sort of, right. And, and where do you draw the line? Like of what's, I mean, there's, there's a spectrum of bad behavior and like, at what point do you consider it like acceptable bad behavior? And then, you know, like most rock stars have done some pretty, unpleasant things you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think uh and not just rock stars jazz musicians yeah folk musicians yeah yeah. yeah. uh i just an example my grandfather was a session musician violinist and he played with many famous musicians including uh paul simon and he said paul simon was an asshole and he didn't use that word he, I was a kid when he was telling me this, right. but he said he was really unpleasant to the musicians, this, uh, the people who come in to play for him. He was just really nasty and dismissive and uh, just not good to work with. Mm-hmm. Whereas, uh, well, he did a, set, a few sessions with John Lennon, who he said was wonderful. He's like really nice and respectful and treated people like human beings, you know, and it's... Well, unless you were his first wife. <laughs> No, I am not. Or yeah, Yoko, no, even I, for that matter. You know, like, I, I'm not trying to stay, no, no, say no. this is the know, case for his entire I'm not, life. I'm, I'm just saying that, that I'm saying, like, clearly Paul Simon doesn't necessarily, I'm not saying he's like this with everybody either, but I've heard other stories about him being a jerk. Mm-hmm. But a jerk is one thing, and, you know, mentally abusing your spouse or girlfriend, boyfriend is 
a different thing. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just saying there's like a, a range of unpleasant behavior and I guess it's up to every each person to decide where they draw their own line really, I guess. But Well, but then and then there's this, you know, we're experiencing right now through the reality of social media, this cancel culture where when right. people get called out for behavior like this, then then mm-hmm. kind of a general community decides to that they're just out and it's happened to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, it's a really tricky. It feels like mob justice, right? Which and that's feels what makes me yeah, un- unfamiliar, uh, uncomfortable with it. Uh, like I, I certainly understand on one hand why people would feel that way in certain circumstances, but but yeah, the mob justice element of it bothers me too. Hmm. You know, yeah, it's like, it's, it's troublesome. It's like, and then there's the idea that you know that a lot of these situations we're talking about, especially when it comes to kind of like male female power dynamics that. A lot of it's been swept under the rug for so long and there's never been a public, not been such a public forum for victims mm-hmm. to really get support and speak out. So on one hand, you have this like extreme kind of mob rule mentality where it becomes like this avalanche of like outraged, extreme reactions. But then also you have years of stuff that got swept under the rug yeah, mm-hmm. that victims were made to feel terrible and ostracized for having been victimized to begin with. So in some ways, like it's time to air all this laundry, right? right. Get so, all this dirt out in the open. Right. And that's, that's the positive aspect of it. And I, I think that's the part that may actually be able to affect some change as to how right. people are treated in certain areas of the entertainment industry or elsewhere. I mean, right. not, not well, just it's just been in the recent past that the whole me too movement initiated a bunch of responses like that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I have to admit, I, I watched a Kevin Spacey movie, in the recent past, and I felt a little guilty about it. So it's, mm. it's kind of, I, I think it's uh, not necessarily easy to decide how to respond to that, and, and perhaps yeah. Yeah. why we're having this conversation in the first place. Because you know, there, there's where do, where do you draw the line? Yeah, I think it's yeah. it's tough for everybody, really, when you're you know in your own head. Like I, you know, I always want to be respectful of a person that's been victimized mm. and traumatized, and that people in power should be should not be in that position of power if they can't be trusted mm-hmm, right. with it. Uh, and I mean, Kevin Space is a great example, I think, because he, you know, it's very clearly a poor behavior and just uh, it's easy to say, well, he was, he was wrong. And but at the same time, he's, he's a great actor, you know, and his movies are really, some of his movies are really enjoyable and, and they're great movies. And, and I guess the question that sometimes comes to my mind is what am I achieving by not watching that? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I can mm-hmm. recognize that he's a bad person, but still enjoy his movies. And am I hurting anybody by watching that on my own? Like, no, I'm not obviously, but, and am I supporting him in some way? It's an almost like an implicit endorsement. It's, it's, yeah, it's really just, it's, uh, it comes back to like what your own personal comfort level is and, and where you, how you rationalize it to yourself, I guess. And, uh, I mean, there are other people in the movies that he's in and you can enjoy them. Why, why, why cancel them just because he's a bad guy, you know? And I don't know. It's like the Cosby show. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, God, you know, such a great, no kidding, such a great huge example. part of my childhood watching it, and and such a positive family role models for anybody. You know, it wasn't even just about the fact that it was like this incredible representation of African American culture on TV. But yeah, I think no, I that's can't. a whole other extreme. Not only was it unkind, but it was freaking criminal. You know, right? Yeah. Right. God. Yeah. yeah. I think I don't know. I. On a personal note for me, like the more, the more of this discussion comes into 
into social media space about canceling people and calling people out and, and supporting people by saying me too. It just makes me want to avoid being extreme about anything, having extreme opinions about anything. Mm. Cause there's so much nuance to all of this. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I think I know what you're saying. Cause I like, I'll see people getting really carried away with things. Like there are people who've been quote unquote canceled who, I mean, they maybe made some bad choices, but they're not criminals. You know, they're they're and 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 maybe they've had time to make up for what they did. But like, and sometimes they it, it's something that happened years ago, and and uh, you know, just to judge their entire lives because of this thing. I mean, I I don't feel like I I think if I made a mistake, still I I would like to think that people get a second chance for some things. You know, I mean, or. <sighs> The, what I think about more is like atonement that there's not right there's not like a clear space for people to atone you know and then have a chance to maybe come back into a public sphere in a way that like they ever have a chance to kind of not to get back to where they were maybe because part of me honestly feels like it's a little bit of justice if you get mm-hmm. knocked down from a, a high place because you treated people really shittily. Like you should kind of fucking get knocked down yeah, from that right. at the very least. Mm. And that should be a stain and you should have to live with the public knowledge that you did this bad thing. Mm-hmm. But then there's no, there's not a lot of space for like, okay, I'm, you know, I did a bad thing. I've admitted in public. I've done my best to apologize to the person. And now I've done these other things. Like I started this foundation or I worked with this, this group of, you know, to learn more about this situation and to try to talk to other people about it and stuff like that, like constructive atonement. But then there's not really a, a space where it's like, okay, there's like a, a governing body in the situation where it's like, okay, stamp, you've done your time. Mm, right. Yeah. And it feels, it has to feel sincere, you know, not just like I'm doing this because it's mm-hmm. good for my career to do this, you know, right. it's hard of, to come back from a lot of gray areas. Yeah. Yeah. But I think what's not gray is that Ryan Adams is a D bag. <laughs> Which is what I thought going into this. Well, you know, and the thing is, yeah, as it's you said, it's been proven to be true. We knew time and time again. We knew he was kind of a jerk. Total anyway. D bag. And I, but I still found a lot of his music to be likable enough that I was able to look past a lot of that. You sure. Know? And, yeah, me too. Heartbreaker yeah. is still yeah. one of my favorite records. I'm a big fan of his rock and roll album. Actually, that's, that's I don't one. like that's, that. No, that's, that's I saw him live when he was doing that, yeah. and it was like nine <clears> dudes <throat> with guitars on stage. I was like, that's just too much cock on stage. Like, well, I don't, need, I don't know. I didn't see it live, but that's I, on like the, too much on album. Like, I like strip it. it down, dude. Like we get it. <laughs> all right. Yeah, and he's 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 great with. I mean, the, the thing is, like he he's really good at these emotional songs. He's yeah. like, you know, so he's clearly got something in there somewhere that's you know, in touch with actual humanity, and <laughs> you know, but. Uh, on the other hand, he can still do these other mm. things. So mm. I don't know. I don't know. I tend to think that like, I'm not a doctor, but behavior like his, like that's so much of it. Yeah. It just seems like untreated mental, Yeah, pretty severe mental, There's something mental on. issues. Like, nar- I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Well, I, I wonder whatever. about where mm-hmm. he came from. Was it wildly affluent family that he came from? And I don't, I don't think that's true no, about him. It's, it what doesn't I, seem to be. It seems like he had like a crappy childhood, messy yeah. Hmm. Shitty divorce raised by his grandparents. And he worked his way up to his solo career through the band Whiskey Town, which yeah. um, hmm. pretty small band. And they, I mean, I, I never, I never, from what I understand about them, I didn't feel like they had some sort of step up because uh, he had like connections or money or anything like that. Hmm. So, um, All right. Mental illness it is then. 
<laughs> I mean, I probably yeah, I, I I think it probably is. There's got to be some sort of diagnosable condition going on with him. Um, narcissism, probably a part D-bag. of it. Who knows? You know, I D- don't know. Debaggery. Debaggery. Debaggia. Debaggia. Also, frankly, you can just look at the cover. He did this like live in Jamaica concert thing, which has like a picture of him on the front of it, and he just like the goofiest ass smile on his face. And just like he clearly problem, man. Doesn't have he doesn't have a problem with seeing him himself really close up. There's one album cover of his that's just like his face. Like hmm. uh, I forget which album. I think it's just called Ryan Adams, and and. <laughs> He's like Ryan Adams. Here I am, Ryan Adams. Yeah, I mean it's like whoa, right here in whoa, your face. I am completely in your face, and he was pretty prolific. He had numbers. Yeah, albums. sixteen records. Yeah, 16. He's very prolific. Yeah, as a songwriter, he was very well respected. I think by a lot of other musicians, and yeah, a lot of people worked with him. And shall we talk about the album? Yeah, well, speaking of songwriting, yeah, it seems all right. like so, really. Uh... Think, he didn't do any in this album, actually. Well, so I think it was exactly. important. That's the interesting. I'm glad part. we had this whole conversation yeah. about it, though, because no, I no. honestly would like to talk about his record. Maybe spend less time talking about the record than we spent talking yeah. about yeah. that because that yeah. feels right to me. <laughs> Why so, don't you describe what the so, the concept is? Taylor Swift made this record in 1989 that she wanted it to sound like you're at a mall in the 80s. Like super, is that was that her super bright? Synth I didn't hear pop. that. I, I didn't super know. bright synth pop all the way, and it sold eight and a half million copies. Just mm. bonkers, Huge. bonkers. So the story I heard about. Ryan Adams in this record is that he was having a rough Christmas after his breakup from his wife, Mandy Moore. And he had been listening to her Taylor Swift record like a lot and had just like the songs like got in his head. He loves the record. Hmm. He thinks it's great. It wasn't like a, I can do better. It's just like he really it's a legitimate appreciation. Yeah, and of he, and he really started to think about the lyrics and the song structure. And he's really, he was really impressed by her songwriting but he started to get this idea in his head because um, he heard a story of another musician recording a record on a four track like tape recorder. And he was like, OK, so I'm going to these songs are so good. I think they would still be good done like Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska, mm. like sparse and like heavy and like quieter and like slower. And so the story is that he recorded it on his four track record uh, tape recorder and then it broke and he lost. He did like most of it and then it broke no. and he lost it. So. The way I initially heard this, he then, you know, still wanted to do this and got in touch with some musicians in Nashville, like some really legit musicians and was like, I want to do this project. And they were all like, you're crazy. That's a terrible idea. That doesn't even make any sense. And then he got them to come to the studio and he was like, no, no, check this out and played a couple of his takes on the songs for them. And they were all like, oh shit, no, he's really doing this. This is a really fucking good idea. And then they were in. So I heard that and I was like, this is a really fascinating story because to me, like you couldn't get much further from Taylor Swift's music than someone mm-hmm. like Ryan Adams. I didn't know much about her. I thought she was like a studio production, like didn't write her own stuff, but I've since learned she writes her own music. Yeah. And uh, the idea that this like legit insidery musician who's a singer songwriter and writes this like, you know, alt country soulful stuff could like take something that poppy and turn it into his own sounding record was like a really fascinating idea. And when I first started listening to it and got really into it, and then I tried to listen to her version to like get the full story. And I was like, Oh, I don't like this at all. Like, no offense. <laughs> she's very talented and clearly eight and a half million records. She doesn't need me to say anything right, about her, yeah, but yeah. I've since listened to it more and I like it better hmm. than I initially did. What I did, uh, was, uh, created a, a playlist alternating, his version, her version, his version, her version, 
and I listened to it that way a few times. Mm-hmm. I figured that was important to have the context of her album. And mm-hmm. just listening to her album separate, it was hard for me to like hear what was going on with his album. So doing it that way gave me a better sense of how he was changing things and, and or the feel of each song. It was pretty interesting. I, I actually gained more of an appreciation for her <laughs> songs, I think, doing it that way. The style of music that she generally makes is not my thing. Right. But I think she's an incredible lyricist. She captures this feeling of like being young and being in love and messing around with different relationships and trying to find the right one. She captures it in the most amazing way. I don't know if you guys feel this when you listen to her songs, but it just gets right to the, you just feel like you're about to cry because you're like, I know what that feels like. <laughs> Immediately. I know what I don't that think feels I've ever like. felt quite like that. Yeah. Listening to her, but well, but, I, but I definitely hear that. I didn't she's, want to imply she, that you guys didn't know what it felt like to be a 16 year old girl, but you <laughs> might not. But I mean, she, she definitely, no, she has a, she has a, good approach i think to expressing herself and uh and and it sounds real you know it doesn't just sound like she's writing songs to have a hit you know they Mm -hmm. they they actually sound like they're saying something so well well, like you sarah i'm I'm kind of biased against that kind of music yeah and so uh, uh, to be honest i i listened to her album for the first time this morning Mm. and my biases were reaffirmed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're not into uh, it right but you know all the same I, I, I listen to the whole album and I can pick out the songs obviously and hearing the difference it, it was kind of informative at the same time I, I, I a little guilty fell in right there you know and I appreciated Ryan Adams versions mm-hmm. much more I, oh I, I, let me add also when we first talked about this album mm-hmm. a month or two ago uh, you you kind of mentioned then also that it was kind of like a Nebraska, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Bruce Springsteen's Nebraska version of uh, you know this kind of melancholy, uh, mm. slower version of it. And so I, I went into it with this expectation of, yeah, it's all right, I'm really looking forward to this. And, I, and after a while, that kind of wore off. And I was like, these are sappy songs. They're not near as cool <laughs> as Bruce Springsteen, but, you know... Ha, take that, Ryan Adams. <laughs> Somewhere he's like, ow. <laughs> or or take totally... that Taylor Swift, one or the other. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah. A little bit mm-hmm. of both. But... Yeah. So there's a little bit of disappointment I registered with that when after going into it with this expectation it was going to be a lot like Nebraska. Mm. You didn't think it felt that way? Nah. Well, the, the context of the songs kind of took away from the whole... Oh, Nebraska for sure. Feel. Oh, yeah. for sure, because it's it's completely... Yeah. Night and day different. I'm, I'm very fond of that Nebraska album. It's a so great it's, record. Yeah. I've had it on vinyl forever because a boy that I dated briefly heard I hadn't had it and like dragged me almost <laughs> literally to a record store and was like, you have to have this. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Thank him. you, Leather Pants Brad. <laughs> but I know that's what I called him because he always wore leather pants. Um, I hadn't ever listened to it, uh-huh. you know, because I collect records like ones I know I should have. And yeah. I checked it out recently in light of listening to this and it is just... A shining jewel of, oof, it's so good. It's an amazing album. Yeah, yeah we should yeah. be talking about that instead of this right. stupid I mean, th- this, hornet's nest of misery. This does not deserve to be really mentioned in the same breath, technically. I mean, it's a completely different thing. I mean, obviously he was going for that sound, but yeah, yeah. but you can't really compare anyway. Although the weird thing is, is according to Wikipedia, it's not Nebraska. It was um, <clears throat> Darkness on the Edge of Town. Oh, is that what he was going for? Yeah, but there, that's the a more... only place I ever saw that said that. Every other well, reference I saw, I read, said Nebraska. Nebraska doesn't I don't know have why the Wikipedia too many... would say that. It's sort of strange to me. Nebraska doesn't have too many <clears throat> rocking tunes. Like, this album does have a few. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, there's nothing... Like, most of Nebraska is really quiet. And, yeah. And so, so darkness, like the edge of town, darkness on the Edge of Town does sound reasonably accurate, maybe. Um, does that have some hmm. rockers on it? I don't know that one. Yeah. The only yeah. two Springsteen records I've ever really listened to, Nebraska and Ghost of Tom Joad. Oh. 
which I really love. That's Super good, melancholy. That's a great one too. Yeah. 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 yeah no, Darkness on the Edge of Town has a good mix of quiet and loud. You know, it doesn't have that kind of like Nebraska-ish, that kind of quiet, mm. but just like more sparse and subdued. So, so uh, which song did you guys like best on, on his treatment <clears throat> of this record? Well, I, I would just like to say initially that I, after listening to it a few times, I, I didn't like it at first. I, I felt it was gimmicky and I still feel it's gimmicky. Hmm. You know, it's 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 impressive for its like obsessive atten- attention to reinterpreting every song. I mean, that's a lot of work. <laughs> to really, <laughs> I mean, Dave's I mean, like a forever, a forever. Yeah, I mean, really, that's, that's C kinda, for everything else. <laughs> but I, I I couldn't really tell if it was like a. I mean, it, you can either interpret it as like a tongue in cheek. Oh, I can improve this silly top forty album. But as you said, I think it sounds like he actually had an appreciation for it. So yeah. that wasn't the case. Uh, well, there's a one example of another version of this. Uh, not version, but Fountains of Wayne did a a cover of. Hit Me One More Time mm. by Britney Spears. Mm. And I love their version of it. And it kind of made it apparent that, oh, this is really a, you know, there's a, you can, there's a well, way to do this It's different when you better. gender bend it and then like yeah. slow it down, right? right then right. everything changes, which right. I think is to me one of the really interesting things about this record yeah. Yeah. is that he is singing her lyrics in a lot of, most places unchanged. Yes. A couple mm-hmm. no, you're pretty right. famous you're right. instances, yeah. not famous, but notable instances where he did change her words. But to me, it like draws more meaning out of her words and so it's like this great thing where you can kind of ping pong back and forth between the two records mm-hmm. and like get more out of each one because the other one exists. Right. right. And as, yeah, mm-hmm. cool. like I was saying, I did appreciate hers more. And um, so, I, but I, not reading the background of his, why he did this, mm-hmm. uh, I, I came up with three reasons he would do it. One was, <laughs> I was just trying to think, why would you obsessively cover an entire album? And like I said, it's either a gimmick just to get himself attention or he's trying to show us how good a songwriter he is by, look at me, I can take these songs and I can make them into these really good songs. Or <laughs> the other thing I came up with is that he's trying to get her attention and knowing how he is mm. with the other women in his life, that like uh, maybe he's uh, trying to draw her into his oh, orbit, which was tangled web. a dark, a dark mm. way D-baggery. to approach it. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that actually occurred to me also. Did it? He was trying to like, build a connection with her. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm <laughs> sure. You guys see it as like a mash note to Taylor Swift. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. lady, what's up? <laughs> exactly. She is <laughs> stunning. Yeah, I mean, she's a good looking woman. And, mm. and, uh, and a little young for him, but he doesn't seem to care about that. So mm. he's got some other young women in his life. Very young. I mean, and I'm sure she's heard of this. Oh, no, she was. So the she story about her it? response to oh, okay. it, yeah, yeah. when he first, you know, it happened over Twitter where he said that he was doing this cover, he was um, version of her album. She responded and was just like, oh, my gosh, really? I'm not going to be able to sleep. Like, I can't believe this is happening because he's seen as such a, you know, the, the musician's musician in a lot of ways, like mm-hmm. this super legit singer songwriter dude. And so, like, for her, the way, at least the public response was from her was just she was super, super excited about it and couldn't wait to hear it. And she's even said that his versions have started to pervade her performances of the same songs. Uh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and she really, she really loves what he did with it. Well, to that point, I think his best reinterpretation, in my mind, is Out of the Woods. Mm, yeah. Where, and I think I can I can agree with that. What I like the most about what he did with that is he pared down her lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not as repetitive, but it still yeah. gets the point across. Yeah. Like he instead of her saying, "Are we out of the wood?" three times, and mm-hmm. then "Are we in the clear?" three times, he just says, "Are we out? Are we out? Are we out of the woods?" Yeah. And then, "Are we in the clear yet?" just mm-hmm. once, mm-hmm. and it kind of gets the whole thing said the way it was intended, and it's somehow more powerful. I think mm-hmm. that way mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And hers just sounds more like pop. 
I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't sound like it has much depth to it. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I yeah. agree with you. I, I became pretty fond of that song. And, mm-hmm. and I, I've actually uh, not learned it, but I'm working on uh, playing it on the guitar. Yeah. And uh, I told Dave this already, and he loves to say, instead of that I'm learning a Ryan Adams song, he loves to say, I'm learning a Taylor Swift song. <laughs> <laughs> right. <he> was, <laughs> Eight and a half million records. There's okay, nothing wait, embarrassing wait, wait, about being down thank for that you. shit. <laughs> She is also. I sales read, numbers don't impress. I read me, a little while ago <laughs> that she something about her being one of the most wealthy real estate. Get out of here! Having like this insane real estate portfolio. Huh. Yeah, this this lady is no dope. Well, like Apparently, she yeah. has a shitload of money and she's invested it smartly and she's highly successful and has a really interesting, prolific group of friends. She's the real deal. So there. <laughs> Although I've also heard things where people are like, she's I, like when she talks like between her songs and her concert or whatever, that she's either sounds like a like a guru from like another like a sage or she's saying absolutely nothing. Yeah. It's just like fluff. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. She hit or miss, I guess. Um, <clears throat> I still like to tell people that Eric's covering a Taylor Swift <laughs> song. <It's> a, uh, <laughs> If I may continue here, the uh, I, I also noted that his version of the song "Style" was the most similar to the original, like the, the least mm. changed. I thought um, that's my favorite. Is it? Oh, I love it so much. Yeah. I want to sing mm. it for karaoke so bad that when he that opening note when he says "midnight" and his voice mm-hmm. is like strained but screaming, oh, so good. Is it worth that's playing our... a bit of each of these, or like uh, his version and her version, or should we just stick to the? I don't know. I feel like we could play a little bit of a couple of his. I'm not as interested in like her stuff. Yeah. Well. Well, I'll have it available here if we because I have the playlist right here. So. Thanks, Dave. <laughs> Didn't it sound like he needed? Good things. At first, I, I found I didn't like the song because it sounded too much like some kind of generic early 2000s rock song or something, but it grew on me. It makes me think of driving around at night in the woods with the windows open. Here's, here's uh, I'm, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to play a little bit of just the beginning of hers anyway. I like these guitars. That is nice. I like this better. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely one of the two best, two, two of my favorite of hers on this album. Uh, yeah, I think um, I think for me, I'm gonna probably going forward want to listen. I don't know. I think I want to dig into her version of this record. 
Mm. I like all that synthy stuff that goes on mm-hmm. in her record. Yeah, and that it's one it was really well done. I, I yeah, think it's, it's, it's really good, well produced. Definitely has an '80s groove to mm-hmm. it. Like, so did you say that was your your favorite song on on the on the Ryan Adams yeah. version? Yeah, that was my least. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. What was your favorite? Oh, well, you already said. I guess uh, out of the woods. Out of the woods. Yeah. 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 What uh, other ones? Uh, of the Ryan Adams. Uh, yeah. Did you uh, have another? I like Wildest Dreams quite a lot as well. Hmm. I like All You Had to Do Was Stay. Yeah. I like that it's one like also, yes. such a fucking great, I'm better off without that, you post-breakup song. That and Bad Blood mm-hmm. are the two that I thought he made sound the most like his own stuff. If you didn't know about the whole Taylor Swift background, those were, you would say, oh, it's a, it's a great ty- uh, Ryan Adams song. And just, I mean, it, it's the most like his normal style, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, let's play a little bit of that one. Yeah, I, I like that song a lot anyway. It's a, Bad Blood? No, all you had to do was stay. Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. I listen to this and I think of 80s big hair bands. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think of that so much, but... Very pleasing beat. Oh, I just had an idea, and now it's going to make me sad that it probably will never happen. <laughs> What's that? How amazing would it be for them to do this record live together? Ooh. She's got an amazing voice. He's got an amazing voice. If they somehow did like bits of their own versions, and I think they could both sing in each other's yeah. way, yeah. you know, in each other's style in a really cool way. Yeah, that'd, be, that'd be a way for him to get closer to her also. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, that's terrible. I know, that's awful. He deserves that too. He does. Totally deserves it. He does. That would, that would be pretty cool, actually. Yeah. It, it would have been, a, as you said, it will not happen, I'm sure. But my favorites on her album, which didn't really carry over to what I liked on his album so much, were Shake It Off. I've always liked that song. That's, yeah. like, that's such a catchy song. Let's hear a little bit of it just for a moment. I, and it's the only Taylor Swift song I think I actually would go to, would, would say that I would listen to on purpose. I, I listened. I, I wasn't very fond of the Ryan Adams version, and I like this one it, even less. Yeah. Really? Oh, really? <laughs> I, I don't think he did anything interesting with it at all. I, 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 I thought it was pretty unremarkable. Yeah, and and I think uh, Bad Blood was another one that I liked her version of a lot. And I know places, but he whatever he did with that, I. Yeah, didn't strike a chord with me. So, I really liked comparatively his version of Blank Space. That's one for me that is really successful in that idea of the ping ponging back and forth, hmm. like his yeah. version versus her version, mm-hmm. and how it changes the feel of the lyrics based on who's singing it and how they're singing it. Right, it's pretty cool. Take a little listen. It was more of a commentary on Taylor Swift. Uh, the lyrics of that are were pretty amusing to me. Nice to meet you. I can show you incredible things Magic, madness, heaven and sin Saw you there and I thought Oh my God, look at that face You look like my next mistake Love's game, do you want to play? You, money, sit and tie I can read you like a magazine Ain't it funny, ruining this fly And I know you heard about me, so hey Ever since I started listening to him back in the whenever Heartbreaker came out, I always have the same feeling about his music. Like, I'll listen to it and I'll just think, 
God, it's so good. He's so he's such an amazing singer. This vulnerability and this emotion mm-hmm. comes through, and it's it's so clear and effective. And then immediately, even before I knew all of this shit about how he was a fucking predator, mm-hmm. I just think, man, what an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Not because he's good, but because he's an asshole. Right. And you've always known he was an asshole. So it's crazy to like listen to him sing like this yeah. and just be like, oh, it's so good. And then immediately think, like, why are you such a dick? Right. <laughs> why, why, why don't you let us appreciate this in its full depth? <sighs> and why do you make it so hard to like you? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I've had those same feelings. My appreciation for him has always been tempered by his by what, I, what I've known about, about him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Well, those lyrics just, if I may go back to that, says, uh, dying to see how this one ends. Mm. And you look like my next mistake. Mm-hmm. And yeah. is, is the high worth the pain? You know, it's like, wow. Well, and I think I can, his versions allow me to appreciate her lyrics much more because hmm. listening to her, I'm just, it's, it's, it's my it's my automatic reaction to this top forty poppy stuff that I typically can't stand, and it's hard for me to like listen deeply to lyrics of songs like that. And but now that I've heard his lyrics, I can appreciate her versions mm. more as well. So. But I still just know I would never listen to this album. Like <laughs> like go out of my way to listen to it. So. I, I can appreciate it more, but I would never go out of my way to listen I'm to it. I'm like super digging it. It's really surprising to me. I feel like yeah. I'm at the mall. <laughs> I, I like going to the mall sometimes. I mean, I, I just want to sip a soda from a giant, giant cup with a straw and get my ears pierced at Claire's. <laughs> my, my, one of my favorite music critics, Robert Criscow, actually uh, has, he reviewed 1989. And I, I, I thought it was an interesting paragraph he wrote about it. He's he's uh, an appreciator of Ryan Adams. He does not find him without fault, of course, but uh, similar to us. But he gave it two stars out of I think four is his max. But I uh, said chivalrous Nashville fellow traveler proves the superiority of younger fellow traveler by failing to top, much less reinvent, a single performance on her breakaway album, which he covers front to back like the gifted fanboy. I guess he must be. Hmm. Well, <laughs> yeah, not not the most generous. But he gives Taylor Swift's album a pretty good review. He's got a lot of good things to say about her. So, so yeah. he's he's not very fond of Ryan hmm. Adams' take on this. Yeah, even though he liked Ryan Adams. Yeah, he does appreciate some of his other stuff yeah. more. Yeah, it seems like a fair handful of music critics are basically like, yeah, whatever. I mean, it's okay, but he basically like took a really amazing album and did a mediocre version of it. Hmm. I think for me, the final note on this would be just that, like, I think it's great that both versions exist in the world because they're both, sure. I think they're both fucking great. And well, it's amazing that she wrote such good songs that sound good her way and his way. And, and I think without any of the context of the album and comparing it to hers, I mean, you could appreciate his album for what it is. And, yeah. You know, it's, it's an enjoyable Ryan Adams album, you know. And so, I mean, I, I think it stands on its own. Uh, it doesn't have to have to be heard side by side. No, not at all. But it's a fun puzzle to know that hers is out there and that you're listening to this version of it. To me, it's like that. You remember that when that Danger Mouse album came out where he sampled, he put together Jay-Z and the Beatles. Yeah, I love that. It's so good. (laughs) And you listen to it in every song and it blows your mind. It is amazing. Like, how are these things happening at the same time? But there's still Ryan Adams to deal with. and. Yeah, super anyway. shitty that yeah. he took advantage of a lot of people. And yep. I'm, I'm, cu- I'm curious how you guys feel about uh, that clean. 
Well, that's the last song on the album. I barely pay attention yeah, to that. By the time it gets there, I'm like done yeah. listening yeah, to the album. Yeah, the last album. couple songs really kind of like trail off. They, yeah. You listen to them like individually, they're actually pretty decent, but somehow the group of them together, it just... Yeah. I attributed it slightly to them being boring, but also I think mm. my, my interest level wanes by that point. By the end of the album. By the end of the <laughs> I, I, I thought I the guitar in there was pretty good. Yeah, let's, let's listen to it. And I couldn't get a sense. He, he talks about ten months sober, so it sounds like a continue with alcohol, but or, or some something like that. I think. I think. But the rest of the lyrics are alluding to something else that uh, it was was it consistent with that? good question because i don't know that she's ever had any uh substance abuse issues i, yeah. I don't think she has she's a bit young for that but harry just had fun. nothing to do with it certainly a pleasant sounding song mm-hmm. also i was thinking his cover of how you get the girl is is sort of i mean mm. again just in the context of everything else, it's a little, Good point. a little weird, but not a bad song. It's a nice, heartfelt song, and certainly she wrote it from the girl perspective, right? And it's kind of interesting that way. But Stand there like a ghost, from the rain. so. Springsteen, that yeah, echo on his vocals. This song may be the most Nebraska-ish. It's mm-hmm. the like low bass that comes in. Well, did we each identify our, our favorite and, and least favorite songs, or, or least uh, what was the uh, term you used? Uh, Not least favorite, but uh, I think contributed nice. less to the uh, oh. to the work. Least to the work. Um, I think my least favorite part about this record is the fact that Ryan Adams is a total fucking dude. <laughs> <laughs> and also the second half of it is kind of weak. Which song is that? Is that? Yeah. <laughs> Brian Adams is a total fucking dish. Wait a minute. Yeah, yeah I, oh, didn't, I missed that one. That must have been a B-side. That must have been a B-side. Yeah. <laughs> 